This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. We're back in action today. 1-866-408-7669. I'll have Jonah Goldberg, who co-founded The Dispatch, which is a great newsletter, comes out every day talking about the outrage over billionaires' tax returns that is totally misplaced. Well, he'll explain it in a way we'll all understand. You don't have to work for H&R Block. So he had a great column over the weekend I wanted to share with you. So he's the best. So he'll be joining us. Also bring us inside the possibility of some type of deal being done on two major uh, pieces of legislation. And again, a lot going on. Uh, eyes overseas, eyes on our border, eyes, of course, in Washington, and, of course, at school boards all across the country as we're getting such a glimpse into what our kids have been learning and what might be happening. Even if your kids have aged out of school, what's happening for the next generation has to be addressed. And believe it or not, we are. More and more people are saying it is worth my time to be on my school board, and that is important. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. She can't go to the border. If she goes to the border, she's going to be expected to solve this problem. This is a problem that she created. Yeah, uh, the, a pass. That's what VP Harris got from the Sunday shows. Almost all media outlets for her terrible handling of the border and her disastrous trip to the uh, to the these other countries. Meanwhile, the border is deteriorating each day. Over nine hundred thousand, almost a million people have crossed, and up a uh, upgrade from a year of eight hundred plus percent. Number two. Do you believe that the virus came from a lab leak from the Wuhan Institute. I do. Simple as that. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, pressure. That's what China has uh, has to feel as more and more experts and nations press for answers on the origins of the virus as we scramble to get developing nations the vaccine. Number one. President Biden's visit to Brussels today to meet with our NATO allies. He says the U.S. is back in the business of leading the world. The president spent the last few days in Cornwall, England at the G7 summit. He's also been drawing a stark contrast with the America first stance of his predecessor. Yeah, we don't want America first. That's the last thing we need. So predictable. A world summit without Trump at the G7, and I'm sure at NATO today, Joe Biden will be hailed for not being the disruptor in chief, but is liked, actually liked uh, by our uh, our allies, more like compliant. That's really America best. Is that really in America's best interest to be compliant, to be one of the masses? Not for me. I'll look at the G7 NATO today and a looming summit with Vladimir Putin on Wednesday. So listen, I was not thrilled when President Trump went in there out of his way to say, I'm not really sure I want to stay in NATO. I know how important NATO is. I understand it's important for our allies to pay their fair share, too. And they weren't. So because Trump went in there and said, you got to pay 2% of your GDP, we're paying almost 4% of our GDP on defense. 
uh, 14, between 11 and 14 nations have upgraded their spending, and they went from 2 to 11 in total compliance. He went out there and made people reevaluate how much they need NATO. And in the end, it was Macron of France who was putting down NATO, and it was President Trump that was defending it. And listen, NATO, we have a lot of issues to discuss. Afghanistan, they're very upset by the way we're leaving, as am I. Uh, the Paris climate deal, who cares? Russia is a, is a major force right now in Eastern Europe, yet they still got the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. How can you be nice to people like Germany and say, we're friends, we get along, we're all allies? Yeah, but by the way, you totally stabbed us in the back by, by commissioning, signing off on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to get discount natural gas and oil from Russia. Well, we're protecting you. And you finished it off and you bypassed Ukraine. How is that okay? And it's the hub is going to be in Germany. Here's Joe Biden. Cut one. There is a, uh, a growing recognition uh, over the last couple of years that uh, um, we have uh, new challenges. And uh, we have uh, Russia that is not acting in a way that is consistent with what we had hoped. And uh, as well as China. So right now, the president of the United States is going to have bilateral meetings in about two hours with er Erdogan. So uh, Turkey, yeah, Turkey's still in NATO. I don't know why. They're using the missile defense system of Russia. We told them not to. They still stay in. We know how belligerent they've been in the Middle East and beyond their borders. They do not really sign on to NATO in many different ways. They're making it very hard for us to base out of Interlick, but yet they're still in NATO. Uh, so there's a bilateral meeting today to see if they're going to come into fray, and he's a brutal dictator. By the way, Erdogan and President Trump got along to a degree. They had a business relationship because Donald Trump put a couple of hotels in there or buildings. I'm not sure. Regardless, they knew each other. A lot of criticism. President Trump and Erdogan are friends. Another autocrat, friends with President Trump. Well, why is he meeting with them? So we'll see. Uh, the double standard continue. So there'll be a photo photo op today. We saw the President of the United States meet with the NATO General Secretary. And then we'll have a bunch of people who will uh, imply how much better America is with Donald Trump, excuse me, uh, with Joe Biden over Donald Trump. But that's my problem. I thought that Donald Trump maybe went over the top to be a disruptor, but I liked his approach. It was turn the tables over, whip the, throw the chairs on the ground, but then slowly build it back. And that's what was happening. But the main story, well, what comes out of this Alerting, alerting our allies, NATO allies, that cybersecurity and ransomware attacks need to be part of the Rule 5. You know what the Rule 5 is? Article 5? Article 5 says if one of our allies in NATO is attacked, we're all attacked. And they answered the call in Afghanistan and Iraq. We appreciate that. After 9-11, we appreciate that. Now, the ransomware attacks got to be the same thing. But we're going to respond with cyber attacks, if you look at some of these other nations, they have great cyber technology. So do we. So we got to quickly hit these these bandits right away. And that's what I hope comes out of this. Here's Mark Thiessen, cut eight. It shouldn't be hard for Biden to have a smooth uh, trip with our European allies because all he has to do is not be Donald Trump. <laughs> they, I'm sure they're thrilled not to be being challenged on their trade practices, not being challenged on on uh, meeting their NATO commitments. And I'm sure Germany loves not being pushed to cancel its uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline with Russia that's going to make Russia, Europe more dependent on Russia uh, for, uh, for uh, natural gas. 
Um, the, you know, in terms of China, uh, you'll notice that Secretary Blinken didn't answer your question when you asked him, are you going to get a communique that, uh, that condemns Chinese uh, slave labor? Uh, he hasn't been able to get the European allies to meaningfully uh, challenge China in any way. And the reason is, is because uh, the European Union has huge trade and investment ties with Beijing, and they're not willing to, uh, they're not willing to, uh, to risk those. So, so far, not so good. So far, it looks like, for example, in Germany, uh, their number one buyer of BMWs and Volkswagens are in China. And they will drop those automobiles as quick as they drop the NBA temporarily. Then the NBA begs to get back. They cut a deal we don't know the details about. Italy, same thing. The garment district, China, all over that. They bought almost all of that. Brazil, the same thing. So they don't understand the bigger picture. The bigger picture is global security. The bigger picture is stopping China from being the number one superpower. Because they are not, it's not France and America where we're in competition, but it's all democracy. So let the true winner win. This is China. They want to dominate in every way and not to make us better, make them bigger. They don't like their own people. They don't like the rest of the world. So now we know that Joe Biden is better liked. But the major story is China. Unite these 12 nations against China. Economically, and also let them understand militarily, we're going to need some support. That's how quick they are building up. So we know this. Behind closed doors, there was a meeting. And there was a 25-page communique after the G7 meeting, but behind closed doors during, uh, during the G7, there was a meeting. They told everybody to leave their phones and shut their Wi-Fi off. They wanted to be top secret. We do not know the difference. We know the language in the 25-page communique is bland. That is disappointing, but at least it is there. Now, the next big challenge is Russia. Russia on Wednesday. Russia not economically, but militarily a huge threat. 100,000 troops at the Ukrainian border. Now they're there. Now they're gone. You tell Norway and Sweden there's no naval pressure. You tell the, uh, you tell the Arctic. Uh, if you watch what's going on in the Arctic, the competition there, there's truly a, uh, indeed a problem. They're about to give Iran sophisticated uh, missile technology and, and missile defense system. Is that okay with anybody? The, the president will have his hands full, and he knows it. And here's why. That's why he's not having a joint press conference at the end. He's not having a joint press conference at the end of the summit because he saw what happened to Trump, and he saw what happened to President Obama. Vladimir Putin tends to dominate these because he doesn't try to be diplomatic. He's also very, you know, he is, I guess, diplomatically very nimble, and he also knows how to make somebody look bad for standing next to him. And he's looking to raise his profile. So why raise his profile anymore? I wouldn't. And I think that's important that they don't. So Vladimir Putin gave an interview, at which time he compl complimented Donald Trump. Says he's very talented. He's very different. He compared Trump to Biden. But first, here's Rick Klein of ABC. Cut for it. He knows the American political process and the political system, and I think that comment is designed to remind people that, yeah, those same forces that, that power Donald Trump to office, they're still around. They haven't gone anywhere. And I think, yeah, part of it is about uh, a warning to Biden uh, that I think he's aware of about those forces that are still there. It's also, I think, uh, uh, nudges Trump back into the political arena. He put out a statement this week saying he hopes Biden uh, gives Putin his best. I don't think he's going to do that, <laughs> but it, it's a reminder that Trump's still there, that relationship that he had with Putin and Russia still looms over the conversations now. And, and Putin knows that, you know, Biden, Biden may rent and he still owns. He, he, he's going to be he could be around when he's gone. Right. Vladimir Putin was with Bush. Then he was with then he took on 
Then he took on President Obama, never had much respect there. I don't know why. Then he, with Trump, they kind of hit it off, but yet Trump was extremely tough. He got out of that missile pact. He protested the Nord Stream 2. We know that he blew up 100 uh, Russian mercenaries who were in Syria, killed them all because they started moving forward on our guys in Syria. That wasn't going to last. Here is Vladimir Putin on Trump, cut three with NBC. You once described President Trump as a bright person, talented. How would you describe President Biden? Well, even now, I believe that former U.S. President, Mr. Trump, is an extraordinary individual, talented individual. Otherwise, he would not have become U.S. President. He's a colorful individual. You may like him or not. And, but he didn't come from the U.S. establishment. He had not been part of big-time politics before. And some like it, some don't like it. But that is a fact. And then he contrasted Trump with Biden. Cut five. President Biden, of course, is radically different from Trump because President Biden is a career man. He has spent virtually his entire adulthood in politics. Just think of the number of years he spent in the Senate. A different kind of person. And it is my great hope that, yes, there are some advantages, some disadvantages, but there will not be any impulse-based movements on behalf of the sitting U.S. president. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll take some calls when we get back. Jonah Goldberg at the bottom of the hour. I didn't even get to what's happening on the border and what the vice president's doing today. There's got to be an alarm among Democratic circles. She was supposed to be the next star of the future. She flamed out as a candidate. She is just as bad. Nothing has changed now that she's vice president. What are they going to do? I could go 20 deep on Republicans, the talented people they have. They might not be your choice, but no one doubts how experienced, smart, and uh, and savvy they are with their own agenda, uh, let alone President Trump coming back for another four years. The Vice President Kamala Harris was their best hope. Good luck with that. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. 
Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There are plenty of Republicans that are serious about making a deal. Uh, the Biden administration is losing steam on some of their successes after uh, COVID-19 victories, and they got to deliver on this. And the only way this is going to get done in a bipartisan way, and let's be frank, the only way big things in this country have ever been done is if we do them together. And there's, a, there's enough Republicans on both sides, uh, on the Senate and the House, that are willing to do something. And that is Will Hurd. He used to be in the House. He's a former CIA guy. He said that there's enough bipartisan support because they had a bipartisan infrastructure deal that's worth about a trillion. It repurposes some coronavirus money. That is not going to make Democrats happy. However, they also do not raise uh, corporate tax rates, which is going to make Republicans happy. It's much more money than Republicans are willing to spend. The pay-fors aren't exactly clear, but both sides weighed in on this, voted on this, worked this out, and handed this forward, at which time one of them, which was Susan Collins, uh, the other one, uh, another one was uh, Josh Gottheimer, who's a congressman from uh, New York. And then you have uh, people on the other side. Uh, you got Senator Rob Portman is also there. Here's what Susan Collins said about what she said is in the deal. Uh, cut 29. There won't be a, de- a gas tax increase, and we won't be undoing the 2017 uh, tax reform bill. I've, let me talk about three of the pay-fors. One is the implementation of an infrastructure financing authority. That's very similar to the state revolving funds that we use for sewer and water projects, and it's a bipartisan proposal. Susan Collins out there in front talking about on Face the Nation. Now we heard Senator Cinema, according to Axios, is trying to win over Bernie Sanders, saying, listen, forget all this school lunches. Forget the preschool and elder care. It doesn't belong in infrastructure. We'll come back and get that later. Let's sign off on this now. Word is, too, that Joe Manchin is shouldering a lot of the uh, slings and arrows of Angus King, Tim Kaine, as well as Kristen Cinema, because they also are not signing off on the $2 trillion or $1.5 trillion infrastructure that includes human infrastructure of Joe Biden. Inflation is going up. People are not going back to work because of so much unemployment. And they're worried about this, this huge economic boom being burst in birth. And we're not going to get a chance to experience it if we keep spending money we don't have. Look out. I think this could get done. And word is the White House is not killing it. Wouldn't it be great? Maybe you think I'm crazy, but we need infrastructure. Everyone knows we need infrastructure. If we can implement it properly, we get rid of the right rules and regulations that stop us from building right away in these environmental lawsuits that hold up everything. If we can get a special emergency compensation where where we get these tunnels and roads and uh, a lot of the broadband built, this will be a big thing for the country. And then we'll get under. By the way, it's the best thing that could happen to Democrats. If they don't do this, they're done. Everything they've done so far is so ridiculously unpopular. It's popular with just in their small liberal caucus. It's incredible. The other thing to look out for is they're looking to redo H.R. 1. It is so radical in nationalizing elections, financing government, uh, doing everything instant. If you're born, you're instantly registered to vote. All these things that are going to just throw it into uh, disarray. They're looking to redo it. Now that. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. It's fine uh, for Republicans. For Democrats, they're upset about redoing H.R. 1. They believe it's still got a life. They think they convinced Joe Manchin. But there's other Democratic senators who knows nationalizing elections is never going to pass the Supreme Court anyway. Here is Pelosi yesterday. Cut 31. I don't give up on Joe Manchin. When he was governor and secretary of state in West Virginia, he initiated many of, uh, of the init- ideas that are in the, uh, in, in the H.R. 1, S.1, the For the People Act. I read the, the, yeah. uh, the op-ed, and you read a part of it. Yeah. I think he left the door open. I think it's ajar. I, I'm, I'm not giving up well, on I- Well, that's just it. If Republicans don't negotiate honestly, then he has no leg to stand on. If they go in there sincerely, he's not going to budge. I don't think he's going to budge on H.R. 1. You tell me the people of West Virginia want to nationalize elections. They don't want their own rules. People of Oregon who do solid mail-in voting, now we're going to make some have in-person voting. No, there's a reason why. State to state to state, they make their own rules for their own environment, uh, for their own logistical purposes, and for their own traditions. Back in a moment with Jonah Goldberg. Hold on to your tax money. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Ours is different. It's first of all, it's bipartisan. We have five Republicans and five Democrats who got together to hammer out the framework for a targeted, responsible infrastructure package. One way that it differs is that it includes provisions for resiliency, for strengthening uh, the materials that we use to to build our roads and bridges and to strengthen our electrical infrastructure. It includes some energy provisions that are important to the administration and to many of our members as well. So I'm thinking there might be something going on with infrastructure. Susan Collins, part of a bipartisan bicameral uh, deal it would put on that they put on Joe Biden's desk now that he's at the G7 NATO summit and then going over to his, uh, to his meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin, put on his desk a compromise bill that he was intrigued with before he left. But I'm wondering, will he sign off on it? Is there enough there to get towards a bipartisan deal on something significant. Jonah Goldberg with us now. He wrote a great column over the weekend. I'll get to that in a second about the outrage over billionaires tax returns. It ignores the basic facts. You don't tax wealth, you tax income. Jonah, welcome back. We know you work with the dispatch and there's constant uh, pressure on you because uh, Steve Hayes loves to party on Mondays uh, through the weekend. And on Mondays, he usually calls in hungover, right? Not only to call in on over, he's constantly, you know, browbeating me to eat chicken wings at like seven thirty in the morning. So I mean, it's just in a, the morning. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's an all day, every day cheese curd and chicken wings kind of guy. Did you know that <laughs> when you went into business with him? <laughs> I, I knew it in theory. I just didn't know it in practice. But well, you know, it is what it is. 
So first <laughs> off, if I, I know you you tend to be I, I tend to be too optimistic, but I think there's something going on just out of necessity with this infrastructure deal. And uh, evidently, uh, there is one report that Senator Cinema is working on Bernie Sanders saying. Get rid of the elder care, the school lunches, all that so-called human infrastructure. We'll do that at another time. Do you think something could happen? I, you know, I kind of do. I think that, really? um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is, I mean, it, look, it's always possible that nothing happens. I mean, it's been infrastructure week for five years. What's another, you know, another couple of years. But um, I think that, you know, it is starting to dawn on Joe Biden that he was, sold a bill, a bill of goods by the base of his party, by those liberal historians and all these other people who told him he could swing for the fences on everything. And it, he's starting to realize that uh, the political reality is just very different than, than what he came into. You know, when he came into office, it was all, he, was, he had an agenda that was maybe possible if you had 60 votes in the Senate, but is literally impossible if you're scrambling for 50 votes. And since he did not campaign on spending $6 trillion <laughs> and all of this stuff and all that kind of stuff, he has an opportunity. You know, I think Joe Manchin is doing him a favor by pulling him back towards how he campaigned. And I think it may be dawning on him that that's the smart politics. But we'll see, you know. Well, the thing is, that's what I always thought with the Georgia elections. I mean, if he if the Republicans could have just taken one of those seats, it would have actually helped Joe Biden. He could have said, hey, guys, I'd love to do what you want me to do, squad, but I can't because I don't have the majority in the Senate. But now that's not the story. They're like, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you blowing up the filibuster? That's the big difference. So I think that when Susan Collins is signing off on this and Joe Manchin's involved in this and Senator Sinema if you go and tick them off and say that the time that they put in on this bipartisan plan is not useful, you might lose them forever. Yeah, and also, I mean, I, I think, you know, look, Biden apparently talked to Manchin quite a bit. And, you know, look, Manchin is from a state that voted for Trump by 39 points. Being attacked by the squad is not bad politics <laughs> for Joe Manchin. And one of the things that helps the Democratic, again, I think helps a lot of Democrats is that there there are not 49 or 48 Democrats who want to get rid of the filibuster and raise taxes and blow trillions on on all this human infrastructure stuff. But they can't say it because they are in very competitive states where they can't afford to piss off you know, the base or the, or the, the progressives or the squad types. So Joe Manchin is taking heat for a lot of other Democrats who probably agree with him about a lot of this stuff, but they don't want to be out front on it. And I, I think, you know, look, I mean, pulling the Democratic Party to the center, when I say to the center, I just mean being, if, if they just became, uh, if they moved as rightward as the mean or the median African-American voter in this country who is more conservative than the sort of woke uh, blue check mark, very online Twitter left wingers that are dominating the party. If if they just reflected, say, the South Carolina African American electorate, that would be a significant move rightward and really good for the Democratic Party, and I would argue really good for the country. I would too. I, I love that idea, good for the country, because we got to do something. There's stuff that has to get done, and we got to be much more effective. And I think one time one thing gets done, it could actually grow on the American people. It'll actually make 
It'll help things in Washington. It'll help things at that barbecue in the middle of Kansas and one in the middle of Texas. It'll just start diffusing the tensions, and we can start debating on who got the better deal, almost like sports, as opposed to who's in power to screw the other one. And I think it would make even uh, the dispatch better, uh, Jonah, because it makes it more intriguing <laughs> to see where this is going. And and it is all about you the know, dispatch. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it, it, I think Joe Biden ran essentially on a return to normalcy kind of thing. And he um, he forgot that and he got he got pushed crazy left. I mean, look, I never thought Joe Biden was a super centrist. But he ran against Bernie Sanders and socialism. He ran against defund the police. He was clear about all of that kind of stuff. And I think the Democratic Party, in many ways, the sort of the leadership, the activist base of the Democratic Party has gone completely off the rails. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing is if you talk to Democratic consultants, if you talk to actual Democratic voters, they don't agree with this critical race theory stuff, the white supremacy garbage, all that kind of stuff. They and 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 they're now dawning on them that it turns off black and Hispanic voters too. It is it is this elite Ivy League school seminar BS that that they think makes for good politics and speaks for people of color when in fact it alienates a lot of people of color and it's bad for the country. I do. I agree with you. The other real, real quick thing before we get to the premise of your column, latest column. On H.R. 1, that's going to nationalize elections and automatically register people and uh, make ballot harvesting the norm. It goes on and on and on. It is radical, and a lot of experts would say that it's never going to withstand the Supreme Court test. But in the meantime, it could be implemented. And who knows? They told us about Obamacare, too. H.R. Uh, 1 is not, does not have Joe Manchin support. It doesn't seem to have cinema support. Where are we at with this? Yeah, look, I I think this is a perfect example of what I was just talking about. It's a messaging bill. It's a fundraising, activist, pandering, nonsense bill that never had any real chance of passing. And, in fact, it is written as if all of the complaints about 2020, right-wing and left-wing, hadn't happened, right? I mean, like Zoe Lofgren, when she introduced it on the House floor— talked about how in 2020 we had massive voter suppression in this country. I'm like, what are you what? talking about? We had the highest turnout in 100 years, you know, the highest turnout in raw numbers ever. There was no massive suppression. It was the exact opposite. Voting was much easier than it had ever been. But they're playing off this old playbook, and they, too, believe that because Biden got elected, there was a brief moment where they thought Biden could be FDR or something. And it's a nonsense bill that would do terrible things to our elections. I don't think it's going to pass. I think this is another place where, like, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are actually helping a lot of other Democrats by taking all the heat on this thing. It is, it is, a, it is truly a garbage bill. Um, it's actually three separate garbage bills combined into one. But the idea that somehow this is where the, where the country needs to go is crazy. But so many of these people, they're sort of high on their own, you know, MSNBC green room farts on this stuff, and they don't understand that, that there's no clamoring need for what they're proposing here. Uh, Jonah Goldberg, our guest. Here's Congresswoman uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. She does not agree with Jonah Goldberg. First time. Cut 30. The things that he cites, like this, this, I think, romanticism of a bipartisanship is about an era of Republicans that simply do not exist anymore. And I think that, um, you know, that, that the older 
school way of accepting the role of lobbyists in Washington absolutely has a role in Joe Manchin's thinking. And that's what he said, that Joe Manchin's out of step and she almost feels bad for him. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think the the squad has really intimidated leadership. Jonah, would you talked about on uh, Sunday you did the impossible. You explained to me taxes. So <laughs> uh, and in a way I understood. So ProPublica puts out and obtained the tax returns of the richest people in America. And you're right that that should be disturbing to people because obviously it came from the IRS. And it was there to alarm people and say nobody who's rich pays taxes. Which isn't true and is deceptive in its de- 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 deceptive in its definition. First off, tell me what's wrong with the premise. Yeah, so what they do is they go and they look at how much wealthier these people have gotten over time, and compare it to what they paid in income taxes. And then they do this sleight of hand, and they say, and they basically apply what would be an income tax if you were talking about uh, taxing people's wealth. And the thing is. We don't tax people's wealth in this country. How would you like it if every year, if your house price goes up or your baseball card collection goes up or the value of your wedding ring goes up because the prices of gold go up and you get taxed on what that thing would be worth if you were going to sell it? Um, That's a wealth tax. The problem is you're not going to sell your wedding ring. You're not going to sell your house this year or whatever. And we don't tax wealth in this country for a whole bunch of reasons, including the fact that we want to encourage investment and savings, and we believe also that you should only tax money once. So if you got taxed on your income, you shouldn't get taxed again on it um, if, you, if you save money. And they just, they just basically you know, they, they ignore and erase this incredibly important distinction. And moreover, they forget – they just sort of ignore the fact that when people – when Jeff Bezos sells his Amazon stock, he's taxed on it. We get taxed on the stuff that we sell if we've made a profit on it, including our houses, um, and we, but we don't get taxed on, stu- on the value of stuff that we're not selling because – that's a wealth tax, and that's a really dangerous thing. See, we talked about – remember when Mitt Romney was running for president, we talked about you know who's, who's not paying taxes. You even referenced this in your column about a decade ago. It was a hot point, talking point, uh, to complain about 47 percent of America have no skin in the game because they didn't pay income tax. They got reduced to a lot of bad rhetoric, makers and takers. Liberals shot back, and rightly so, that the same Americans paid a lot of payroll and other taxes. Why is conflating taxation income taxes wrong for some Americans, but speaking truth to power uh, for others? So you cannot you, that th- we've brought we've brought politics into math. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there, there are people I mean, and also what, what drives me crazy is the ProPublica piece was hailed by all sorts of media outlets as this startling revelation when we've been having this debate. For basically my entire adult lifetime. Yeah. I mean, that remember Occupy Wall Street. Remember sure. Warren Buffett talking about his secretary's tax rate and all these kinds of things. This was a known fact about our tax code, and yet they report this thing by by you know using leaked tax returns from the IRS, which is a massive scandal and crime, to make a point that we all knew already. And it's I mean to me it's just such a nothing burger. And the thing is, look, if you want to say that we should have a higher capital gains tax rate so that when we sell stock, we tax it more. Okay, we can have that argument. I, I, I don't want that, but that's fine. But this idea that um, it is greedy and outrageous for rich people and corporations to use, quote-unquote, loopholes in the tax code right. to minimize their tax burden 
is nuts when we put those loopholes in there because when we put them in the the tax code, it's to incentivize them to invest in green energy or to be you know uh, charitable and philanthropic or invest in the jobs of the future. These things are in the tax code for a reason, and then we're shocked to find out that the people and corporations respond to the incentives that we wrote into the tax code. Want to get rid of them? Fine by me, but don't whine as if this is somehow some sort of crime when this is what Democrats and Republicans have openly put in the tax code for generations in order to encourage investment and social responsibility and all these other things. Yeah, great point. Uh, Jonah, I, I look forward to uh, your next column. Go pick up the dispatch. I'm a subscriber. Uh, you, you broke off. You took a big risk, and it's going well. Uh, no one guaranteed your outcome. Is that okay with you? We, you went and took a risk yeah, in no. life, and no one guaranteed the outcome? That's exactly right. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and if I end up selling this thing for $500 million, I would like to be taxed as little as possible. And, and by the we'll way, see. how many people, Jonah, how many people did you hire? So far, uh, we got about 14 people, I think. So you so, put, you know, we're going well. Right. So, so you hire 14 people, you take a big risk, you have an office building, I imagine, pandemic uh, prior to the pandemic. So you're helping the economy while taking personal risk and probably intrigued every day. I just wish, I didn't think I'd have to reaffirm this. I wish more people would feel the excitement of just trying to compete again. Compete instead of blame. Yep. And I just think this is a, yep. your, your dispatch is a perfect example. Like, hey, let me see if I can do this. No guaranteed, but that's the excitement of it. I believe in myself. I'm going to take a risk. And that's what we've got to start teaching kids instead of like how bad our country is, how exciting it could be and the opportunity we have. And um, I'm, maybe it was a big risk for using the dispatch, but I just I felt it and I don't regret it yet. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, it, look, I mean, I, I, we, took, we went out without a net and so far it's going great. And, and I, I, I think encouraging people to be not just entrepreneurial with like investments or whatever like that, but being entrepreneurial with their time, take risks in life, jump into life, particularly if you're young, when you're young, it's the only time in your life you can really afford to be entrepreneurial with your time. You can be afford to be poor and do something wild and fun and interesting. Jonah Goldberg. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Back in a moment. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What Biden's doing is Obama 2.0. He's going to go back and try and buy friends again. This isn't about having countries like us. This is about having countries respect us. And the way they respect you is when you take hard lines on tough issues. And Biden doesn't seem to be doing that. That was Nikki Haley, who I had a chance to talk to on Fox and Friends this morning. And she was coming to me from Israel, where she met with Benjamin Netanyahu, who, in case you have not heard, his first time he's not going to be prime minister in 12 years, lost a controversial coalition vote to his former a guy that he once mentored. Uh, so we'll see what, what direction Israel go to. It sounds like he's going to be back in a couple of years, uh, but he's got some legal problems, just like our former president, um, Donald Trump, does. But that was Nikki Haley. I mean, my goodness, she... 
Uh, she has great international credentials. She has great domestic credentials as governor of South Carolina and as a female of of uh, Indian heritage. That's certainly going to be a positive for her, especially with a husband that's in the military. But the one thing that she did that Trump supporters don't like is she says that Trump, Donald Trump let us all down on January 6th, and the president has not really seen or talked to her since. And whether you're a biggest Donald Trump supporter or not, if you're a Republican, having Donald Trump as an enemy really makes you almost unelectable nationally because he takes 40% of his vote with him uh, almost everywhere. Hey, go to briankillme.com if you want anything. Any of my books for Father's Day, I'll send them this week. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Happy to be coming to you uh, from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. New York Post, Michael Goodwin standing by, talk about the top 10 things the media got wrong about Donald Trump. Another one came in last Wednesday, we'll discuss. And former speechwriter and terror expert, best-selling author, now a Washington Post columnist and Fox News contributor. A lot of stuff. Mark Thiessen will join us uh, at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. She can't go to the border. If she goes to the border, she's going to be expected to solve this problem. This is a problem that she created. That is so true. A pass. That's what VP Kamala Harris got from the Sunday shows and almost all media outlets for her terrible handling of the border and her disastrous trip. As the border deteriorates more and more by the day, a 20-year high in terms of illegal border crossings. Number two. Do you believe that the virus came from a lab leak from the Wuhan Institute? I do. So predictable. Yes, pressure. That's what China has to feel as more and more experts and nations press for answers on the origins of this virus as we scramble to get developing nations the vaccine. Number one. President Biden's visit to Brussels today to meet with our NATO allies. He says the U.S. is back in the business of leading the world. The president spent the last few days in Cornwall, England at the G7 summit. He's also been drawing a stark contrast with the America first stance of his predecessor. So predictable. World summit without Trump and the G7. I am sure at NATO today, praise, praise, praise. Because Joe Biden is not the disruptor in chief. But being liked, is that actually being compliant? And is that really good for America and our interest? A look at the G7 NATO today and a looming summit with Vladimir Putin on Wednesday. And I'll bring that question to Michael Goodwin of the New York Post, uh, who's a Fox News contributor, too. Michael, the big difference, I knew they were going to praise Joe Biden for not being Donald Trump. But this whole get along attitude, I like to being that. But do we have that responsibility to be friends with everybody? Well, Brian, no, I don't think we have to be friends with everybody. But uh, I agree with, I think, what you're saying, that Biden has has chosen in general this this uh, alliance, this one worldism, or at least Western civilization against the 
the Putins and even Iran and people in China. The problem is that when not everybody agrees, what do you do? Uh, I mean, all all presidents, I think, since the Second World War have taken that general position. But the but the issue then becomes, what do you do when when say Germany makes a deal with Russia for gas, or when Germany and many others in NATO don't pay their fair share? And Barack Obama had those problems, and he papered them over. He asked Germany and others nicely to pay their fair share for NATO. They said no, thank you. Uh, Trump thundered and talked about pulling out of NATO unless you pay your fair share. Guess what? They all paid more. So I think this willingness to be tough with your allies, because otherwise, who are you leading? You're following them. And that's the problem with all of these large international organizations, the WHO, the United Nations, the World Trade Organization. All of them are happy when nobody is unhappy. And so it becomes the lowest common denominator. And America is better than that. I mean, it's always involving America falling down to the level of others because they are not as strong militarily or economically or some cases because of geography. So I think that Biden has fallen into that trap. I mean, Obama was very much a part of that. And it's been the American way for really, really, except for Ronald Reagan with Russia, everybody else was for getting along. I mean, you look back at the old headlines and even the, the, the movies of Russia on the march, and it's all we're all part of one worldism. And we all have to, this is a premium, particularly in the press, about getting along. I, I think that's the wrong premium. I mean, yes, of course we want to get along, but we want to get along on our terms. Absolutely. That's what American leadership is. I mean, they want the Iran deal. We're back in. Climate change. We're back in. Right. Uh, sharing the vaccine. We're back in. So when it comes to the Nord Stream 2, they got it. Uh, when it comes to the, the Russians, they got their nu- nuclear deal. It's back in place. They were cheating on it. They got caught. Donald Trump says, we're done with this. We're not renewing it. We're out. He went back in. So just like Barack Obama went back in, he got the missiles out of Europe, the defensive missiles out of Europe. He thought that was going to look as as something where they want to deal. Let's reset the relationship. They looked at it as weaknesses. Uh, Germany got their Nord Stream 2. They also, Germany, wants to continue to sell BMWs and Mercedes in China. That's their number one market for both those automobiles. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's okay to have a concentration camp. It's okay to rob the world of all their intellectual property. And at the same time, what to watch the world be uh, poisoned and not go along with a strong stance against China. Well, and and that gets you to America first, right? That was the distinction that America first provided uh, to all of those countries and to America. I mean, you know, Brian, I'm old enough and so are you. And because of your history work, what happened in World War II still shapes much of our thinking about the world, that were it not for the United States coming to the aid of Europe, Europe would have been taken over by the Nazis. No question about it. Now, Russia was able to defend itself and was very instrumental in Hitler's ultimate defeat. Uh, But for Europe, for Western Europe especially, it was America uh, who saved the bacon. And so 
I, I, there is still, in my own view, and I think for many other Americans, there is still this sense that we are the last defense. We are the bastion. And so why we have to keep lowering our right. standards and lowering our uh, s- sending our interests below others so they are happy too. Right. That that that's what Trump never cared about. Trump didn't care if Europe didn't like him. He cared about what was good for America. That's what his policy was. What was good for America, not what's good for Europe. Right. If we can if we can all get along, that's fine, but that's not what I'm here for. And that's what Biden has become. Biden has become an empty suit who just wants to get along. He just doesn't want to have a tough moment. He doesn't want to have anybody saying something nice, unnice about him or America. And so I think it, it, you're right. I mean, it's where you started. It's a kind of weakness. I want you to hear what Boris Johnson said, which just struck me as unbelievably weak. But also that we're building back better together and, and building back greener and building back fairer and building back more equal and uh, how shall I, more, in, in, in a more gender neutral and perhaps like a more feminine way. How about that? How about that? What are you talking about? What is that even? I, that is the U.K. president that was supposed to be the Donald Trump of England? Yeah, I, I think he's talking to a domestic audience uh, in the U.K. that uh, is still wary of him. Uh, I think his leadership there is very much under question. And so I think that he's, yeah, he's, he's turned green oh. for the sake of, of his own uh, leadership and his own party. We're infecting the world. So you wrote this great column everyone's talking about, the 10 things Trump got right but never got credit for and the media is ignoring. Hydroxychloroquine, one of the latest. Lafayette Park was cleared out because Donald Trump wanted to walk to St. John's Church. No, it was cleared out because they were putting in a wire fence because they tried to breach the White House the week before. And then the Russian hoax, the Ukraine impeachment. You listed 10 things they got wrong, and the media is not reporting they got it wrong. Does that frustrate you? Well, I, I think it, it, it certainly does, Brian. Hunter Biden? To me, yes, that's right. Uh, to, to me, what these 10 things signified, it's, it's my 10 big media lies. Everybody has their own list. You could make a list of at least 100. Uh, but my the point for me ultimately is that when all of this started with Trump in 2016 campaign, I believe that what what the media was up to uh, was largely a matter of prejudice. They, they don't like Republicans. They they always want a Democratic president, and so this was a matter of media bias. But but now here we are five years later since all the guardrails of standards were taken away by the media when they can say every reporter is now an opinion columnist and and every paper front page to back and every broadcast is anti-Trump, anti-Trump, anti-Republican. It's no longer a matter of prejudice. It is now willful malpractice. It is a form of corruption. They cannot be counted on to tell the truth anymore. So if you look at something, you read it and you say, "Uh, I don't know. But, you know, the New York Times says it. No, 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 no. Don't trust the New York Times. Trust your gut. I mean, that's how bad it is now. And it, it, it it is a tragedy for America that we have a media 
that willfully tells you something that's not true, Cute. that they intentionally – and because we know that because if they would admit it when they got it wrong, then we would know they were truly Here's sorry. An Here's an example uh, of different media outlets covering different stories. Cut 41. The administration asked police to clear peaceful protesters from the park across the White House so the president could stage a photo op. Something you probably have heard from a certain corner of the right is this theory that the coronavirus, quote, escaped from the lab. The business dealings of Joe Biden's son, Hunter, are connected to an ongoing Russian disinformation effort targeting the Biden campaign in the days leading up to the election. It certainly feels like we're in the opening stages of a devastating political chapter in American history. Evidence is mounting for the president's meddling in the Russia probe. So they just cover it uh, with their opinion as if it's fact. For example, with the Wuhan lab theory, now that it looks like it's got global momentum and full of facts, it's unfrozen by YouTube and Facebook, which is another story. They say, well, it was Donald Trump's fault for politicizing it. What do you mean he politicized it? He brought it up. Well, that he's so polarizing. When he brought it up, that really should have been an indication he wasn't serious or it wasn't a real lab. Even sometimes even Donald Trump is right. What are you talking about? He's president of the United States speaking uh, his mind about the most consequential issue affecting every American's lives. How is that being partisan? Well, I, I think it, what happened, Brian, uh, again, we go back to the five years uh, starting in 16, is that the media used Trump as an excuse that whatever he was for, they were going to be against. And they carried that so far that it ended up making them look crazy. Uh, I mean, they overreact to everything he said and did. And so, you know, whether it was the, uh, the China virus, all of that, they had to disprove in their own mind. So everything he said became a lie, and therefore they were the truth. But you know, these st facts are stubborn things, and you can ignore them for a long time, but eventually they will come out. And, the, you know, the Lafayette Park case being a great example, everybody said instantly it was all done for a photo op for Trump. Well, here you have the Interior Department's inspector general, after Trump is out of office, saying, no, 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 this was a plan. And they have examples from people on the ground how this was the plan, that the police clearing the park didn't even know Trump was coming. They were doing it because a contractor was to start installing a fence and the next morning. And you know, Brian, since I've written that column, a number of people have written to me just ignoring the Interior Department's report and just saying, oh, you're just lying to cover up yeah. Trump. It was just a go. photo. I mean, people, facts don't matter to a certain segment of the population, including the media. And that's what is so concerning. It is. It is nuts. Uh, it is crazy. I've never seen anything like it. Then you have the collusion with social media. And then with, uh, if you wrote anything about the Wuhan lab, they'd freeze your account or knock you off or suspend you. Do you know if I wrote something now on YouTube about hydroxychloroquine, I would have, it would be knocked out, my account would be frozen, or I'd be suspended? Hydroxychloroquine was just shown in two separate studies to be effective. How dare a social media guy with a nose ring uh, and purple hair decide that it's not worthy <laughs> Uh, of being posted. Incredible. Michael, because, thanks. Because Donald Trump said it first. That's why. Michael, That's the only reason. Uh, read Michael, uh, Michael Goodwin's column. It'll arm you for your 4th of July barbecue because you will be challenged and you have the question. You have the facts on your side. Thanks, Michael.
My pleasure, Brian. Thank M. you. M. Goodwin underscore NY Post. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And I think it's great to have a U.S. president, part of the club, and... uh, very willing to, to, to cooperate. And I think that what you, what you demonstrate is that leadership is partnership. And, uh, and we do appreciate And I think we can deliver great things for that. I think we can do a lot, too. We, uh, the United States, I've said before, we're back. The U.S. is back. And look, I, I, it was predicted. I mean, he was chairman of Foreign Relations Committee. He's been all around Joe Biden since really the 1970s. So a lot of these leaders, Macron, I don't think he had met before, but a lot of the other leaders he knows, he knows quite well. But they know him. So, of course, they're going to get along. But the question is, if Donald Trump was president, there's no way the Paris climate deal, we're back in it, right? There's no way the Iran deal is going. Europe wants the Iranian deal, and Europe wants the Paris climate deal. So there you go. On Afghanistan, they have a lot to, to, to discuss. I think we are leading in the wrong way. We're getting out too quick. NATO had no plans to get out. Afghanistan had no plans to, to, uh, to go on without us. The Taliban were even shocked that Donald Trump wanted to get out. And irresponsibly, Joe Biden did not step in and say, we got to slow this down. I don't want to hand this country over. Let's go to Ron, let's go to KSLM in Oregon. Hey, Ron. Hey, my brother. I love you, Brian. God bless you and keep getting the message out. First, this Wilsonian policy that this president and Obama originally is basically this 170-year-old policy where we're going to appease Europe and basically use us as a doormat. I don't want to be a doormat like what the so-called green policy that he wants to get us back in. It kills jobs. It raises the cost of living. Look at California. And they talk about green jobs. Less than 400 maintained in the San Joaquin Valley and the Imperial Valley and along the Bay Area where the solar and wind machines are at. 400 people, my brother, that maintains it. How does it create green jobs? Everything comes from China, solar panels, wind machines. We can't even dispose of it properly when it doesn't last long. And then at the same time, we're going to have to pay our tax. All we're doing is killing the innovation that the previous president with the American First policy is about American First and not being China's doormat that they can walk on us and empower buy our land, control our food infrastructure, and at the same time have policies so we can let them do. I mean, look at France. France is getting ready to get a 5,700-mile fiber optic from China, from the southeast corner, southwest corner of China, all the way through the Mediterranean to France. And how does and how does that hurt us? And in, in, if I was a NATO member, it hurts because it can undermine our intellectual and also Absolutely. our infrastructure and our militarily through com- using our computers and can shut down your computers. Look, make- look, Huawei was about to be installed in the UK. They ripped it out. Uh, it's about to go into Italy. They've got to rip that out. That means they'll have control of all our communications. So that's got to stop. I hear you. I hear your frustration. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
I think what's important at the NATO meeting is, first of all, how do you hold China accountable? And the second thing should have been, um, well, three things, I think. One, holding China accountable. Number two, making sure that you call Russia out and acknowledge Nord Stream 2, which is giving, um, stabbing Ukraine in the back and actually giving Russia a kiss by allowing Biden to go ahead and give that back to Germany. That was a terrible thing. And then I think, three, you got to talk about the Iran deal. Like, that's going to be a huge topic. And the G7's been very involved and Biden's falling over himself to want to get back in the Iran deal. Those are three massive threats that we have to be talking about. Uh, yeah, that's what we hope will come up, uh, but it doesn't seem to come up because Joe Biden's in compliance with just about everything. Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for George W., Fox News contributor of the Washington Post, uh, columnist. Welcome back, Mark. Good to be with you, Brian. All right, Mark, first off, so predictable that people would just love that Donald Trump was no longer there, the disruptor in chief, and Joe Biden was there. Because the agenda is so similar, what else stood out for you that was different? Well, first of all, I mean, just how hard is it to have a successful summit with with our Western European allies when you're not Donald Trump, right? It's a, you know they love the fact that he's not pushing them on their trade practices, that he's not pushing them uh, to uh, to uh, get uh, you know to uh, that he's not pushing Germany on the Nord Stream two pipeline. He's not pushing them to spend more on NATO and all the rest of it. So very easy to be uh, to be uh, bask in the adulation, but. You know, it just shows the, the weakness of the Biden administration. I mean, so their big their big goal for the G7 was to get the the G7 countries to condemn China's use of Uyghur slave labor, and they couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it because the Europeans, uh, the, the the Germany and Italy and the European Union, uh, were worried about uh, their trade and investment deals with Beijing. So they literally wouldn't. You know, the the joke in foreign policy circles is is that. When, when a tyrant does something bad, we'll issue a strongly worded statement. They couldn't even get a strongly worded statement. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pathetic. Well, it, it, there's no question about it. And now, uh, and now the only thing you have is some people are showing legitimate interest in finding out the oranges of the virus. But Germany stands in our way. Germany wants to be able to sell BMWs and Mercedes over to their number one customer, and that is China. And they know how quick China will turn. Look at what they did with the NBA. But, I mean, how short-sighted. And, I mean, Germany – so Germany uh, has these trade deals with, with China, and they're, they're worried about that. And they're also the ones pursuing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is, you know, which is uh, uh, screwing over Ukraine. It's, in, it's in going to increase uh, Europe's dependence on, uh, on uh, Russia for uh, natural gas. It's going to allow – them to uh, what the reason why this is a huge national security problem is because right now all european all russian natural gas flows through ukraine flows through eastern europe and so if they want to cut off eastern europe they have to cut off western europe too the north stream 2 pipeline allows them to bypass the eastern europe so they can cut off eastern europe without affecting their customers in western europe and we all know that's all the western europeans care about so this is a huge national security problem. And then the other thing that Biden's doing to, to as a gift to Vladimir Putin is this campaign against fossil fuels here. Under Donald Trump, America became an energy superpower, the largest exporter in the world of liquefied natural gas, right? He's cut off the Keystone Pipeline. He's stopped our Arctic drilling. He's doing all these things to push down on, on, uh, on uh, fossil fuel production. If you've got the combination of Russia, Russia increasing its natural gas and us decreasing our natural gas exports, which means that, you know, we, we were an alternative to Europe uh, for Europe from Russian natural gas. 
Now we're pushing them into greater dependence on Russia and also isolating Eastern Europe. I mean, this is this is the grand strategist of foreign policy that we're that we elected to to fix all the problems that Donald Trump created. Donald Trump stopped Nord Stream pipeline. It wasn't they were not on the day that Donald Trump left office. There was the construction had halted on Nord Stream pipeline. Soon as Donald, uh, Joe Biden came into office, they started again and he lifted the sanctions. Well, wow. so in the communique that you were talking about it, this is not the language you'd expect. Here it is. With regard to China and the competition of the global economy, we will continue to consult on collective approaches to challenging non-market policies and practices which undermine the fair and transparent operation of the global economy. You talk about a brushback pitch. Look out, China. We mean business. <laughs> And they, they ask China to they ask China to uh, to uh, respect human rights and the autonomy of Hong Kong. I mean, you know, give me a break. China is laughing about this. They 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 they're absolutely laughing at Biden. They're laughing at at the European allies. It's it's simply pathetic. Here's their response. China has warned the G7 that the days when a small group of countries decided the fate of the world have long gone. Uh, quote, we urge the United States and other members of the G7 to respect the facts and understand the situation. Stop slandering China. Stop interfering in China's internal affairs. Stop harming China's interests. Not exactly a, a, a country that seems intimidated. Not at all. Not at all. And look, they, this whole idea that they're going to that we're going to get China to cooperate with the, with the investigation into the lab leak is a fantasy. They, they they will never cooperate with an investigation into the lab leak simply because. Right now, if, if if they can even plausibly argue that it came from nature, then it's an act of God, not an act of, and they can't be held responsible for an act of God. But if it, if they if it came from the lab because one of lack security and two because they were engaged in these really irresponsible uh, research practices of gain of function research and doing it in a in a biosecurity two level lab as opposed to a biosecurity level four. Biosecurity level two is the level of biosecurity in your dentist's office. The biosecurity level four is the level of security when you're wearing the space suits and everything has to be and like that. They were doing these experiments at biosecurity level two. If that came from the lab, then that means that it's no longer an act of God, it's an act of state. That means the Chinese government is responsible for the pandemic, for unleashing the pandemic and legally and liable for the cost of the pandemic around the world. So Vladimir Putin sat down for a 90-minute interview with NBC, and here's what he said about Donald Trump. Tell me if you think this plays or if he's playing games in setting up Joe Biden for this meeting. Cut three. You once described President Trump as a bright person, talented. How would you describe President Biden? Well, even now, I believe that former U.S. President, Mr. Trump, is an extraordinary individual, talented individual. Otherwise, he would not have become U.S. President. He's a colorful individual. You may like him or not. And, but he didn't come from the U.S. establishment. He had not been part of big-time politics before. And some like it, some don't like it. But that is a fact. <laughs> he liked him. Uh, here's what he said about Biden. Cut five. President Biden, of course, is radically different from Trump because President Biden is a career man. He has spent virtually his entire adulthood in politics. Just think of the number of years he spent in the Senate. And he went on. So what do you think that's mean? I mean, he doesn't say things without meaning. He doesn't do this interview if he doesn't want to set somebody up. What do you think this means for what he's looking to approach here? I think he thinks he can play Biden because, look, here's the reality. Donald Trump was soft rhetorically on Vladimir Putin. He said nice things about Putin. I mean, we are, uh, you, you and I both cringed during the Helsinki press conference. It was a terrible moment. But Donald Trump's policies when it came to Russia 
were incredibly tough. I mean, he, he, he sold Javelin missiles to Ukraine, which, which Biden and Obama refused to do. Uh, when when uh, that he when I interviewed uh, Trump in the Oval Office and uh, 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 last year in office, and he acknowledged he had, he launched a, a covert cyber attack on the Russia on the Internet Research Agency, the troll farm that was involved in the in the uh, election interference. B- Obama and Biden didn't do that when they when they were briefed that the election interference was taking place. Uh, he got NATO members to increase their contributions to the alliance by 140 billion dollars. He gave U.S. forces a green light to kill hundreds of Russian mercenaries in Syria and firefight in 2018. He exposed Russian diplomats, withdrew from the INF Treaty. He imposed unprecedented sanctions on Russian officials, and he imposed sanctions on the company, on the Putin crony who was running the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. How, I would rather have, I mean, I'm glad that, that Biden called Putin a killer. He is a killer. But I'd rather have a president who, who, uh, who takes tough action than one who talks tough and, and, and gives Putin everything he wants. I know. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. But I actually thought Joe Biden got tripped into something you expect Donald Trump to. Whatever Vladimir Putin is, he would be. But is it diplomatically smart in an interview to call him a soulless killer? So, uh, okay, fantastic. I'm not saying to reset the relationship, but maybe you wait for the door to close and say, listen, I know what you're doing. Meanwhile, Navalny is sitting rotting in prison. They arrested another uh, one of the people that was going to challenge uh, Vladimir Putin. But we're really not going to affect the domestic policy. We know that for sure. We never have. But if we could find a way to let them know that these cyber attacks, these ransomware attacks stop now. And whether it's blinking the lights in Moscow or simultaneously taking down these, these uh, cyber camps, uh, the, you know, these bandits, we got to find a way to do that. I mean, we're not going to have a joint communique after, but I, uh, I hope Vladimir Putin can get the message. We come at him with, from a position of strength if he will use it. Well, look, the, the big achievement of the uh, of the, uh, the trip so far is an agreement with Russia on to crack down on cyber hacking. I mean, they're the ones hacking us. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like having an agreement with Beijing on lab leaks. I yeah. mean, it's, it's ridiculous, you know. And the, the reality is, look, when when Barack Obama and Joe Biden were briefed that the Russians were interfering in the 2016 election, they sat and did nothing. Right. When when Donald Trump was briefed that the Russians were interfering in the 2018 midterms, he authorized uh, our our offensive cyber U.S. Cyber Command to launch an attack that took down the troll farm. So, you know, there's the there's the difference right right there. Why doesn't Joe Biden use those offensive cyber capabilities to do, as you suggest, blink the lights, have a demonstration effect or at least go after these cyber criminals and take down some of the uh, some of the uh, that and say, we're not going to take this. The idea the idea that you're going to, like, you know, have an agreement with Russia. To, uh, to stop doing this, you know, it's, it's absurd. Mark, last thing. Uh, Kamala Harris got a total pass on the Sunday shows outside one question from Chris Wallace on how terrible her trip was overseas, how inadequate her answers were to the only interview she gave, and how what an epic failure she's been as a vice president who refuses to give press conferences, cannot excel in an unscripted situation. This nervous giggle every time the border is brought up is so inappropriate. Total pass yesterday. Well, I was on with Chris Wallace, and we talked about it uh, on Sunday. I mean, look, the reality is that uh, that uh, if you don't – first of all, the idea that you wouldn't be prepared for that question is like mal- communications malpractice. That's like when they brief her before the interview, they should be telling her, you're going to get asked why you haven't gone to the border and don't have a better answer than, well, I haven't been to Europe either. You know, um, and, and second, if, you won't wanna, if you're annoyed about getting asked about going to the border – 
there's a simple way to stop the questions. Go to the border. Right. You know, as soon as you go to the border, that's going to get you. She's been 82 days in this job, hasn't gone to the border, keeps getting asked why she hasn't gone to the border. And she gets more and more annoyed. Just go to the friggin border and the questions will stop. Right. Uh, but then she'll have to see how ugly it is and uh, how exactly. brutal it is. And she'll own that's it, exactly which, right. by the way, if I'm her, I want to prove that I'm president. I'm going to solve that problem um, because that was my assignment. Uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Mark, Washington Post, Fox News contributor, back in a moment with you. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think the biggest and fastest way to resolve this would be to find the animal reservoir. Find that missing link. Remember, we found a civet cat, the, the, the animal that was the most you know, closely related link before it jumped to humans for the last COVID, SARS uh, outbreak. We don't have that animal reservoir right now. It would put to rest all of these concerns, but it also fuels the belief that it might have been a gain-of-function accident. So we don't know yet. Tom Bossert used to work for President Trump. Um, John Bolton got rid of him. Uh, I think he did a great job then. They thought he was a leaker. He was former Homeland Security advisor. They lost a lot when he left. And now he's saying we got to go find and try to recreate if this was found with an animal. But we got to have to work around the Chinese because they're not going to give in to public pressure. They're not going give to give in to international pressure. We're already seeing it. Mike Pompeo, on what he thinks the chances are to lab leak. Cut 21. Do you believe that the virus came from a lab leak from the Wuhan Institute? I do. Enough said. That really was the debate yesterday. Also, there's a, there's a fear about variants and we need booster shots or the people that aren't getting the vaccine. I respect that. Uh, I got it. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not somebody who you go to for medical advice. But from what I've seen from the stats that are revealed, from, uh, from what I know that I've never gotten it, and I've been in the city traveling all around, I probably lived the most normal life possible through the pandemic. But the, uh, the vaccine seems to be effective with kids. I'm not thinking that's a strong thing. Uh, here's Dr. Scott Gottlieb on what he worries about cut 17. The risk is really to the fall that this could spike a new epidemic heading into the fall. The vaccines seem to be effective. The mRNA vaccine seems to, seems to be highly effective. Two doses of that vaccine against this variant. The viral vector vaccines from J&J and AstraZeneca also appear to be effective, about 60% effective. The mRNA vaccines are about 88% effective. So we have the tools to control this and defeat it. We just need to use those tools. Yeah, that'll be fine. Let's find out there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. Uh, The Friends Reunion, which I watched some of it on HBO Max, has really panned out for HBO. I don't know how much they paid, uh, but I imagine it was a lot. But they're getting some return on their investment. The the reunion drove more than more signups to HBO Max in its opening weekend than any other Warner's Brothers new movie this year. Films such as Mortal Kombat, Godzilla vs. King Kong, Zack Snyder's Justice League. The number one overall driver remains Wonder Woman 1984, released over in December. 
So uh, most people that watched it uh, were pretty satisfied with what they saw. Next, uh, the network and Superman actor Ned Beatty. Uh, you know him. He died at 83 years old. Character actor he was. He was in 1976 Network. Uh, other remarkable films. He did Deliverance famously. Uh, remember uh, All the President's Men, Silver Streak, Back to School. He uh, did a lot for a long time, but at 83, he is now dead. He was a great actor because he started off in, in serious dramatic roles, and then he, he showed that he could do comedic roles. They said starting with Superman, and then he did stuff with like, with like in Silver Streak, Back to School, and other uh, comedies. Next, good point. Denmark player Christian uh, Eriksson's condition stable. Really scary situation as the European Championships got underway. Euro 2020 uh, was delayed. Now it's playing. He's 29 years old, one of the best players out there, taken to the hospital in Copenhagen after he collapsed on the field on the 43rd minute. He was just played a short pass when he fell flat down to the ground and was given urgent medical attention. It really shook up both teams that got together and took a knee for him. Uh, that was kind of scary. But if you watch, by the way, the European Championships, you can really feel the excitement, even if you're not a soccer fan. Next, Senator Tommy Tuberville does not back any sort of legislation that will require the NCAA to pay athletes. Cut 42. Should the players get paid? The players are already getting paid. you got to remember that. They're getting their scholarship. Plus, they're yep. getting, most of them are getting six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800 cash a month for what we call cost of attendance. Nobody's going hungry as a right. college athlete, men and women. But it is, should always be about education. If we get away from that, now we're going to lose it. This is not farm minor league sports. It is education. Kids have an opportunity to play. It gives millions of kids an opportunity to play something. That, after that, that's the last time they'll ever play. So at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it should be about education. He was talking to TMZ, and he was a former coach of Auburn famously. Uh, several states are slated to make it illegal for the NCAA to punish athletes for making money off their own likeness. So you walk into a bookstore, and you see that your number is on the back of the bookstore. They're selling a jersey with your name on it. Uh, whether it's Tebow or the, or the backup tight end, you feel as though you should get money. Like a Tebow will make money, but the other men and women won't. It's just so hard to do it fair. How do you, even though a field hockey player might be fantastic and equal athlete, they don't draw revenue. And this coming from a soccer player, that's the problem. But women's volleyball, most states don't draw revenue. Where do they get the money from? From football and basketball. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Dan Henniger of the Wall Street Journal will be joining us shortly. Uh, he is uh, deputy editor of the WSJ. And Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour talk about this chance of a deal being cut, believe it or not. An actual deal in Congress between Republicans and Democrats not being rejected, waiting for Joe Biden on his desk. So uh, we also know it's Flag Day, June 14th. We are pro-flag. Sadly, they are getting ready to add 51 stars to the flag just in case it happens because to make D.C. a state that would make it 51, obviously, and they believe it's got a shot at passage. I don't. I, can, I cannot see in a simple majority picking, making D.C. 51, uh, state 51, even though our founding fathers did not want that. That's why they picked an area in which would never be partisan. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. She can't go to the border. If she goes to the border, she's going to be expected to solve this problem. This is a problem that she created. Can't really argue with that. Uh, A pass. That's what VP uh, Kamala Harris got from Sunday's shows. All media outlets far uh, give her just a pass on this, except for Fox News Sunday asked one question of Mark Thiessen about it. The disaster of the border. Over 900,000, close to a million people, have already crossed illegally. That's a 20-year high. And then he put her disastrous trip as the border deteriorates more and more by the day. What a joke. Number two. Do you believe that the virus came from a lab leak from the Wuhan Institute? I do. It's simple as that. Pressure. That's what China has to feel as more and more experts and nations press for answers on the origins of the virus as we scramble to get developing nations now being hit uh, by the virus, the vaccine. Number one. President Biden's visit to Brussels today to meet with our NATO allies. He says the U.S. is back in the business of leading the world. The president spent the last few days in Cornwall, England at the G7 summit. He's also been drawing a stark contrast with the America first stance of his predecessor. I would say so. That is called predictable. World summit without Trump as the G7. And I am sure NATO today, Joe Biden will be hailed for not being the disruptor in chief but is being liked. Actually, can I say compliant? And is that really in America's best interest? A look at the G7, NATO, and Wednesday's meeting with Vladimir Putin. Uh, But first, let's bring in Dan Henniger, deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal editorial page. His weekly column, Wonderland, appears on uh, Wall Street Journal each Thursday. Dan, welcome. How would you characterize Joe Biden so far on his first foreign trip? Well, he's uh, the Joe Biden that we all know. Uh, some of us love. Some of us have a little bit less love for Joe Biden. But it's the uh, smiling, uh, glad, glad-handing, arms-around-people guy that's been in public life for uh, over three decades. Uh, I was struck seeing and reading about this uh, walk on the beach with uh, Emmanuel Macron, in which they were embracing and uh, pledging their fealty to one another. Uh so at that at that level, Biden is doing very well, just uh, being good old friendly Joe with uh, our uh, European partners. But on the level of uh, actual substantive achievement, a lot remains to be done. I mean, they put out, you know, Biden talks about diplomacy, multilateralism, uh, and the Europeans love to be able to put in a position of talking about these things and making verbal commitments in principle. But the question is, does anything get done? I was particularly struck by the statement they put out on China. I mean, supposedly they agree that China is now an adversary. And the statement said that uh, with regard to China and its competition, we will continue to consult on collective approaches to challenging non-market policies and so forth. Continue to consult. What does that mean, Brian? Nothing. It means to talk about talking. It doesn't mean anything. Right. And, you know, China is Europe's number one trading partner. We are number two. And the idea that the Europeans are going to shoot them or at least pair back their relationship with China, putting at risk their trade with them, them is, is, is unlikely. True, Dan, except for we're not asking for something esoteric or imagine down the line the threat they could be. 
There was a nuclear accident. We don't even know the scope of which that took place over the weekend, like maybe yesterday, last night. That's when we got word of it. We know about the, the pandemic caused by China. Every reasonable person agrees with that. Now it looks like it came from a, uh, a Wuhan lab. And we kind of thought that all along the way. Don't want to put words in your mouth. So what more does Europe need to know? I mean, basically, let us know what trade gaps we can fill and understand in the long run they're going to come out and they're going to use some type of extortion on you with this Belt and Road program like they did with Italy, Brazil, Pakistan, and you're going to pay a price or you could deal with us. Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, there has been a there has been a kind of a realization in national security circles over the past several years. And I would go so far as to say, including Democratic circles, I think. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan are well aware that China has uh, become a maligned power. The question is, what are we going to do about that? But I would add to that, Brian, to to complete our conversation about Biden and Europe, uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin, with whom he meets on Wednesday. Uh, I have frankly been struck lately. Uh, Putin gave a, a, an interview this morning with NBC in which he mocked the idea of cyber attacks uh, emanating out of Russia into the United States, shutting down our pipelines and food processing firms. Just made fun of that. Uh, said he couldn't even guarantee that Alexei Navalny would survive his time in prison. You know, Brian, the thing about Putin and Xi Jinping is they become so extraordinarily personally assertive, almost aggressive in cracking back at criticism as though they just don't take uh, the United States and the West seriously anymore, implying that they can get away with pretty much anything they want because there isn't going to be any real pushback. And I think that's what they are looking for. I know some of us uh, in, in the United States are looking for more assertiveness from the United States. But the question is, when will it come? Talk alone is not going to cause Putin and Xi Jinping to stop pushing outward. Uh, so I think the threat, in other words, has become more immediate and more imminent. It's not just a subject that we talk about. Uh, anymore. It's become something that has to be addressed very quickly. Well, he said they, you know, essentially they were looking to make the U.S. Joe Biden uncomfortable before their meeting, tried to send a message. So they affected energy with a pipeline, colonial pipeline, and they affected the food, uh, food in our country by bringing the meat uh, that meat industry down to its knees. So those two things are sent. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. People act like it's a victory to get some of the ransom these private companies paid back. So that does make people uncomfortable. Navalny being arrested just make they don't care. And you think uh, there's defiant tone from China, uh, essentially saying these G7 countries, these small countries can't dictate how the rest of the world thinks. So unless we can somehow get their attention... There, it's, things are only guaranteed to get worse, and we have the ability to get their attention. We're almost afraid of it. So this is, what, this is the pressure. But if you want to know why they're on the same page with Joe Biden, they both want climate change. They both want the Iran deal. Uh, I guess on, in theory, they both want to be tougher on Russia. But I also see that Joe Biden is meeting with the Turkish leader, Erdogan, today. What do you expect to happen there? 
not very much. Uh, Turkey, you know, Erdogan uh, sometimes comes across as uh, uh, kind of a wild card. But the, the ace in the hole that Turkey is holding, Brian, is that they provide the protection for Afghanistan's primary airport. There is no way in or out of that country other than overland, which is extraordinarily dangerous. Turkey for years has been protecting that airport. So we need them to keep doing that. At the same time, Erdogan has signed a deal with Putin and Russia to buy a missile defense system that uh, the West and the United States really doesn't want Turkey to have. Uh, a, a significant missile defense system run by the Russians. So those are undoubtedly the two main things that Biden will be talking to Erdogan about. But Erdogan, as I say, is kind of holding the Trump cards there in, in negotiating with us. And the, I guess one question would be whether the U.S. would offer to replace the Russian missile defense system uh, in Turkey. Turkey, after all, is a member of NATO. It's a troublesome member of NATO. But uh, this is the kind of difficult situation that the U.S. can get itself into if it doesn't watch these countries and their leaders on a, on a daily basis. Dan Henniger with me from The Wall Street Journal. Nikki Haley was on with me on Fox & Friends. I talked to her about this and talked about the difference in tone for leaders, President Trump, as opposed to Joe Biden. Cut 46. The one thing President Trump did was he held his friends and enemies accountable. He said, we will do our part, but everybody else has to do their part. He was nice about it, but they wanted him to just let them get their way. That's not what leading is. Leading is letting countries know what you expect of them and how you're going to partner with them. So, uh, that just didn't happen. And he went on. And that, that's just basically it. I, I don't really need another friend. I just would write my allies to respect me. And one thing the president did do is get everyone to pay more into NATO and criticize President Macron of France when he criticized NATO. The shoe was on the other foot. People don't seem to remember that. Yeah, well, the big thing that Trump was doing was trying to get them to increase their defense spending up to 2 percent of GDP. And of the 30 <clears throat> members of NATO, only about 10, including the United States, have done that. So they've been slow walking both that issue. Uh, no question that the year of the pandemic just dropped in the middle of uh, this relationship with Europe. Trump had imposed tariffs uh, on the Europeans before the pandemic. Uh, trade slowed. You know, the economies basically shut down. So it became kind of a non-issue. But now with the pandemic waning, uh, the question is, how do we re we do have a big trading relationship with Europe and we do have to rebuild that both in terms of goods and services, blockages, opening up blockages of U.S. ports, uh, allowing American or allowing Europeans to come into the United States to work as seasonal workers and, and vice versa, allowing Americans to travel freely in Europe. Uh, that is the sort of, I think, where the rubber hits the road kinds of issues that you would like to see the U.S. government taking some leadership in, and things that affect the pocketbooks of uh, Americans over here, whether they're buying European goods or doing business with Europe. That all has to be restarted. And I think that's, in my opinion, more important than restarting the Iran nuclear deal. I would think so. I want you to hear what Boris Johnson said Friday, just to show you this infection of being politically correct and this, uh, this love of the green, green energy is not just from the White House. Listen. 
but also that we're building back better together and, and building back greener and building back fairer and building back more equal and uh, how shall I, more, in, in, in a more gender neutral and perhaps like a more feminine way. How about that? More feminine way? What is he talking about? <laughs> you know, it's, you can almost see Boris Johnson trying so hard to keep himself from bursting out laughing as he's saying this stuff itself. I mean, it is just so insincere, so pro forma. So this is what he thinks Joe Biden wants to hear. So he's going to output these remarks for him. Uh, but once you stop laughing about it, Brian, it's just, you know, it, it's disconcerting. It's depressing to hear a serious leader like Boris Johnson signing on to this uh, gobbledygook about the uh, gender and feminism and the rest of it. Uh, it's a difficult issue, and uh, especially on climate. I mean, they just make these bald statements about going green when, you know, most of them are not going to impose these costs on their populations uh, the way Joe Biden seems intent on doing to Americans. Uh, so it's, it's a very depressing thing to hear. I just wonder where, you know, where the reassurance is that people understand the challenge of our times, whether it was a smaller nation or a bigger nation. There this just seems to be so obvious that China wants to dominate the world and Russia made an alliance with that with that economic power in order to be there along the way. Why people can't see this is so frustrating. One thing about the Cold War, we all agreed who the enemy was. And I can't believe we're, we don't see it now. Dan, I can't thank you enough for joining me. All right. Great to talk to you, Brian. All right. Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. Uh, he's going to bring us inside this so-called infrastructure deal that could be taking place. I'm not kidding. A deal in Washington. And then your phone calls. one 408 7669 A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Where would you put the odds in that context for the $974 billion hard infrastructure proposal from the Gang of Ten? Oh, uh, well, you know, maybe 50-50. Uh, look, um, both sides would like to get an infrastructure bill. Uh, here are the red lines on our side. Uh, we're not going to reopen the 2017 Cox bill. It was the major factor in bringing us the, the best economy in 50 years as of February 2020 before the pandemic hit. And we want it to be paid for there you go. Wanted to be paid for. So they're going to do it through fees if the Republicans get their ways. They will not up the corporate tax rate. And they're going to repurpose money that has not been spent from the past pandemic. And that'll get them close to a trillion dollars. And I believe that people are telling Joe Biden and others, you're not, you don't have 50 votes what, to do reconciliation. You've let Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, evidently. Uh, Tim Kaine is not thrilled with this. Mark Warner is not thrilled with this. Angus King is not thrilled with this. But with the $2.4 trillion that was down, down to $1 trillion, they just don't believe, perhaps, 
like we and perhaps you believe that you don't have elder care and preschool and school lunches when you're supposed to be building bridges and tunnels and broadband. So listen, that's Mitch McConnell to say that is pretty significant. And there are reports, too, that uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, Senator Cinema is trying to win over Bernie Sanders. Joe is listening in the Bronx. Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning, Brian. Uh, with regard to Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida banning that nonsensical, anti-American, really just quite frankly genocidal critical race theory uh, in the school system, uh, kudos to him and uh, to the other governors who actually followed suit. Uh, and I hope this uh, movement among uh, state governors builds momentum uh, because, unfortunately, uh, the critical race theory that actually uh, Trump had actually uh, banished uh, from federal agencies is back in full effect under Joe Biden, and it has the full endorsement of this administration. And what critical race theory is for the uninitiated, it comes out of something called critical theory, which originated with the Frankfurt School, this Marxist school of intellectuals like Herbert Marcuse, uh, Theodore Adorno, etc. And it is is totally, it's totally alien to everything that Americans uh, stand for. Gotcha. I appreciate the insight. Uh, Joe is worth waiting for your call. Joe in the Bronx, 1-866-408-7669. Brett Baer, and then we finish up with your calls. Busy day. Thanks for being here. Brian Kilmeade Show. By the way, I'll be hosting tonight, 7 o'clock, primetime, primetime, Eastern. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think what's important at the NATO meeting is, first of all, how do you hold China accountable? And the second thing should have been, uh, well, three things, I think. One, holding China accountable. Number two, making sure that you call Russia out and acknowledge Nord Stream 2, which is giving, um, stabbing Ukraine in the back and actually giving Russia a kiss by allowing Biden to go ahead and give that back to Germany. That was a terrible thing. And then I think, three, you got to talk about the Iran deal. Like, that's going to be a huge topic. And the G7's been very involved, and Biden's falling over himself to want to get back in the Iran deal. Those are three massive threats that we have to be talking about. About Russia, and that's true. And joining us now, by the way, Russia is selling a sophisticated missile system to the Iranians. Isn't that great? Maybe giving it to them. Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor special report. Uh, Welcome back, Brett. Hey, Brian. That was Nikki Haley earlier today. Some of the things that she's seeing seems a little uh, anxiety ridden because it doesn't seem like we're really coming firm against China. And she has not seen indications yet that Joe Biden's ready to be tough with Russia. What about you when you read between the lines? Well, I think there was some disappointment that uh, the push at the G7 was about getting a second WHO uh, look at the origins of the coronavirus. I mean, uh, the first one was so bad in, you know, the experts who look at this stuff uh, essentially was written by China. So uh, the second bite at the apple, is that all that there is? I think that's where the criticism is. And as far as Russia goes, um you know, there's a lot of buildup to this this one-on-one between President Biden and Vladimir Putin. Um, but I just read between the lines what the White House and Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, are saying, kind of trying to dial it back, saying expectations, you know, shouldn't be set that high. Well, that's not really how you go into a summit or a one-on-one. 
I would not think so. But what about the decision to not have a joint communique after a joint press conference? You know, that um, you mean after the Putin meeting? After the Putin one on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, to listen to President Biden say he didn't want the focus to be who talked longer or who shook hands or whatever, um, I think they they realize that it could get prickly on a number of different issues and um, don't want the comparison contrast of uh, the two leaders on the same stage. So I guess to try to avoid that in, in particular uh, overall, and Vladimir Putin gave a 90-minute interview with NB guy to NBC. So I, I guess he's not afraid of the Western press. He's certainly not afraid of the West or, or from us. Look, two cyber attacks came from uh, came from Russia. You saw the hundred thousand troops or the thousands of troops that went to the Ukrainian border. You you see that he got what he wanted. The Nord Stream two pipeline is going to be completed, and now he's going to sell that weapon system to Iran. Please tell me where he's been intimidated by America or by President Biden. I don't see it anywhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the Nord Stream two thing. Um, the administration explains that it was more of a hat tip to Germany, but. You know, frankly, Angela Merkel's not going to be there. She, this was her last G7, and um, they're going to have new leadership that maybe didn't want that pipeline. Um, at least that's you know where where politics is going in Germany. Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think Putin has been brushed back really at all, and sanctions that they've put on uh, Russia really haven't had an effect. It never have. It uh, doesn't seem in any way. And go, switching over to China now, uh, their statements after the G7 came out and just had some light language talking about their concerns that they have, uh, they came back uh, pretty strong. Not only that, I intimidated. It was a 25-page communique, and they put China in there. He, they say, quote, in the group, this is the G7, with regard to China and the competition in the global economy, we'll continue to consult on a collective approaches to challenging non-market policies and practices which undermine the fair and transparent operation. Really? So you're going to keep giving away intellectual property in 51% of your companies. The leader also yeah. said they will promote their values by calling on China to respect human rights. Oh, that'll work. China came back and warned the G7 that small groups of countries will decided the fate of the world were long gone. Uh, China's embassy in London in a joint statement said, we urge the U.S. and other members of the G7 to respect facts, understand the situation, stop slandering China, stop interfering in China's internal affairs, and stop harming uh, China's interests. Not exactly uh, intimidated. No. No, I mean, the G7 statement was like strong letter to follow. Um, There really wasn't uh, a lot of bite to it. And, you know, what was said publicly, expressing concerns, didn't really give any real pushback uh, to China. So, yeah, I mean, listen, on both fronts, you have a watered down uh, response. And that, you know, doesn't move uh, as far as action. The thing about Donald Trump and you can give him criticism of all kinds of things about it was always about him, and he had made all these leaders feel awkward at these events. Well, yeah, they love the the boring G7s, you know, where they get to talk about all that they want to talk about. The ones that really, you know, raise some eyebrows are the ones where it's shaken up. And the thing about Donald Trump was that these leaders in Russia and China just didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what he was going to do next. And in that way, they were kind of off their game and thereby 
um, maybe not doing some of the bad things that they were doing. So let's fast forward to what's going on domestically, Brett Baer, uh, because it looks as though that bipartisan infrastructure compromise bill, which I guess it's bicameral uh, and bipartisan, is going to be on Joe Biden's desk. It's about over $920 billion. Here's what Susan Collins says it will not be in it. Cut 29. There won't be a, de- a gas tax increase, and we won't be undoing the 2017 uh, tax reform bill. Uh, let me talk about three of the pay-fors. One is the implementation of an infrastructure financing authority. That's very similar to the state revolving funds that we use for sewer and water projects, and it's a bipartisan proposal. So these get specific to the point where a lot of people thinking that there's something that could happen here. In fact, you, you it was told by we just had an interview with Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell says 50 50 chance of passage if they leave the the elder care and the school lunches and the preschool for everybody and junior college and all that stuff. If that's out of it, this might have a shot. Do you think they might leave that stuff out of it? I mean, I think in his heart of hearts, President Biden would want to. Um, but I know that the left of his party is really going to have a problem, and um, they're going to feel like this was not the right way to go. So um, I, I, that's the convincing that the administration has to do is for the left. I think the right will sign on uh, to be able to say they got something done, something you know, $920 billion is nothing to sneeze at. I, I agree. And I, I think the other thing is, and tell me if your sources say it, it's not just Joe Manchin that doesn't want this infrastructure bill with all the other stuff larded into it. He's blocking for maybe Senator Tim Kaine. He's blocking for Kristen Sinema, who, according to Axios, is working on Bernie Sanders to come along with a promise that we'll go get that in a separate bill, maybe on reconciliation. So do you hearing this? Yeah, I am. And um and it's not just those. I mean, it's uh, Mark Warner, it's Maggie Hassan, it's Jackie uh, Rosen, it's um, Mark Kelly, who's up for re-election uh, in Arizona. So, you know, there's a decent number of Democrats who are trying to get to yes um, by saying no to some of this stuff. So, Brett, how do you feel about tossing from special report to me on primetime? Uh, do, you, do you plan on doing it? Do you want to acknowledge me? Or are you going to make believe there's no handoff and just maybe put up a full screen? We may just um, do a terminal break and just go to commercial, <laughs> and then you just come back afterwards. We, no. I love it, man. I get to talk to you twice in one day on a Monday. Right. And usually you do that thing where you predict tomorrow's headlines, like Nostradamus. Are you doing yes. that again today? Is that your last question on your panel? I I think so. I think that'll be uh, tomorrow's headlines tonight. All right. So maybe I'll try to predict a headline and really make it a seamless transition. That's good. Let's do it. I'll save a few seconds so you don't have to take it out of your show. And, um, yeah, let's do it. You got it. Brett, thanks so much. Uh, We'll see you tonight at 6. You bet. See you. 1-866-408-7669. We'll finish with a flurry of calls. Uh, That's right. I'll be on tonight at 7. See you then. But until then, you're next. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I always found, and uh, I don't mean to suggest that uh, the press should not know, but this is not a contest about 
who can do better in front of a press conference or try to embarrass each other. It's about making myself very clear what the conditions are to get a better relationship are with Russia. We're not looking for conflict. So the bottom line is that I think the best way to deal with this is for he and I to meet, he and I to have our discussion. Yeah, listen, I'm not against their meeting and not having a, a, a press communique after or a joint press conference after what happened with President Trump. You know, he was having a decent me, decent trip to Helsinki, and all of a sudden it comes out and he agrees with President Biden, uh, you know, President Biden on a bunch, excuse me, President Putin on a bunch of things, and that becomes a disaster. He didn't read it that way, but, you know, talk about hacking the election. He told me he didn't, so I, I, so I believed him, and then everyone had their meltdown. He, uh, Joe Biden doesn't want something like that. He's already made a big mistake. Not a, that big, but he said uh, Russia needs help with Libya. No, Russia doesn't even help Libya. You blew up Libya in 2011, had no plan after you took out Gaddafi, but, and the Russians are there. But you were talking about Syria. You messed up nations. It's pretty significant for a president of the United States. Okay. Michael McCall weighed in on the reason why Russia comes in empowered. And we've been discussing this. But this is a former uh, head of Homeland Security, Cut 12. I think the price for admission to the ticket for this uh, seat was way too high. I mean, he, for instance, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, uh, the, the president waived in the national interest Nord Stream 2, which will be Putin's pipeline going into Europe, so that Europe, European, you know, our partners be dependent on Russian energy. I don't think that's in the United States' national interest. And... Quite frankly, it's not in Europe's best interest either. And this really empowered Putin when this happened. And I I think we're giving him a lot of stuff. Yeah, and that's the issue. And I just think this whole strength thing is what matters. And I think that everyone should have found that out in 2008 when Barack Obama said, I'm going to reset this relationship by pulling out those missiles out of Western Europe that was missile defense. And we're going to protect uh, Western Europe. And instead... He pulls him out. Didn't get him anywhere. Here's more from Michael McCall, cut 13. And what really should he do? I, I, I put this to Tony Blinken as well. Sanctions have not changed Vladimir Putin's behavior much. Well, the threat of sanctions on Nord Stream did shut it down. That's a good point to make. I agree with you. And when it comes to cyber attacks, I mean, here, here we go. We, we let him go forward to the pipeline, Martha. And then the Russians uh, hack colonial pipeline or a organized criminal element, which I think is all interconnected personally. I think Putin has tacit approval on this. But we had solar winds, which was state it was uh, state sanctioned. And uh, now we have what's what's happened with Colonial Pipeline, yet no repercussions. The irony is the two pipeline here, right? We allow Putin's pipeline, shut down Keystone, and then the Russians hack Colonial Pipeline. Uh, to me, that's there's something disturbing about that. You know, listen, today is uh, President Trump's birthday. He's 75 years old. He'll be 78 by the time he's going to run again. He is Joe Biden's age when he gets there. Not many people think, uh, whatever you think of Donald Trump, he's just as sharp or or you might you, know, you might not like it, but he would have done the same thing at 50 as he's doing at 75 now. Uh, Joe Biden, not the same guy. You got to think that if he's still out there, he's going to be a viable contender to be the next president if he can keep quiet and there's no big deal and get somehow get reinstated to a Facebook that is uh, that is less biased than it is right now. But here is Rick Klein on the fact that Vladimir Putin, he's with ABC and political director, the fact that Vladimir Putin is complimenting Trump and noting that Joe Biden 
has been around, has been a career politician, been around forever. Rick Klein says, I see something between the lines. He knows the American political process and the political system, and I think that comment is designed to remind people that, yeah, those same forces that, that power Donald Trump to office, they're still around. They haven't gone anywhere. And I think, yeah, part of it is about uh, a warning to Biden uh, that I think he's aware of about those forces that are still there. It's also, I think, uh, uh, nudges Trump back into the political arena. He put out a statement this week saying he hopes Biden uh, gives Putin his best. I don't think he's going to do that, <laughs> but it, it's a reminder that Trump's still there, that relationship that he had with Putin and Russia still looms over the conversations now. And, and Putin knows that, you know, Biden, Biden may rent and he still owns. He, he, he's going to be, he could be around when he's gone. Very interesting. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. I don't know whether to believe this or not, but a lobster diver in Cape Cod was actually swallowed by a humpback whale and got out. This lobsterman claims he survived being swallowed. Uh, the fellow Massachusetts native portraying him, he wants Matt Damon to play him in the movie. This guy's name is Michael Packard. He's 56. Uh, he said, I got stuck in the whale's mouth. All the nurses and doctors at the hospital came to see me and asked me about it. One nurse came in with a notepad. She asked me for a lottery numbers. Some experts told the Post that the story sounds fishy, given that Packard's apparent lack of more serious injuries, including hearing loss from the sudden change in water pressure when the whale reportedly took him down 45 feet in seconds. Packard re uh, repeated on Reddit that he was lodged in the baby whale's mouth for what he estimated to be 30 to 40 seconds. He did not mention how he got out. So I don't know whether to believe or not, he but is. the fact that he came out saying, I want to be in a movie, makes me skeptical. Well, that's my question. But it's a two-part question. One, do you, you know, do you believe him? And two, if there was that movie on your life, who is playing you? Uh, that's a tough one. I can't answer now. Next. NPR writer, get this, doubles down on an editorial that said Tom Hanks has to be more anti-racist. So Tom Hanks is a non-racist. It's not good enough. He has to be anti-racist. I'm not kidding. In this column, which he's gotten big backlash for, uh, this guy, his name is Deggins, uh, last name is Deggins, uh, he came out and he said he argued that Tom Hanks did not go thorough enough analysis in his guest essay for the New York Times calling for more teaching about the Tulsa race massacre. Quote, they're wise words, but it's wonderful that Hanks stepped forward to advocate for teaching about race-based massacre, indirectly pushing back against all the hyperventilating of critical race theory. And that's too often more about silencing lessons to America's darkest chapters. But Degan's lamented it's not enough. Hanks has made a career out of playing righteous white men in films that often leave out black contributions. So he is critical of people that write Tom Hanks' scripts that he stars in because he plays too many white people instead of this is according to Eric Deggins. This is easily the nuttiest thing I've read in a while. You just can't. I mean, he, he's done so many good causes for so many people. He's not a racist person. I he, hope if he apologizes, but he, I will go crazy. But he has to be... Anti-racist, this doesn't make sense. Next, husbands who don't help out with household chores more likely to have higher incomes. It pays to be selfish, at least for husbands. These are the findings, according to a University of Notre Dame research. It's virtually guaranteed to raise eyebrows and incite debate uh, homes across the country. The research concludes disagreeable married men who avoid pitching in at home usually end up having higher incomes than husbands who work and do chores. So now you have an excuse when you go home and say, listen, science backs me up or right. studies back me up. I don't have to do, do any housework. Do you want vacuuming or would you like a summer home? See? That's about it. Would you like to go to Tahiti or do you want me to paint the door jam? Those are the questions. That's really what's at stake. 
See you tonight at 7. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.